You're listening to a Sunday morning message from Hope Church Frankfurt. If you want more information about our church, text HOPE23 to 55498. We hope you enjoy this week's message. But really this message started a couple weeks ago from a conversation that I had with someone uh, in our church. And and so it kind of started bringing this to mind. And they were kind of mentioning at the end of service, they mentioned something to me. They said, it really felt like we were in a spiritual battle today. And and that hit me and I started thinking about it. And I thought, wow, that's really insightful. Like, yeah, I think you're right. And now I know that I think that sometimes as I'm, you know, up here and as we're playing and I'm missing 17 chords per song and you know and I'm like oh no the sound's this the light's this this is this I'm thinking oh we're in a little bit of a spiritual battle here today but I for someone in the crowd to say it felt like there was just a resistance of heaviness against us I thought wow you know what that's really insightful and they're right like that was a, a very, very insightful thing to say. And because the reality is, look at where we're at. We're in a very interesting time in history. There's political tension. There's religious tension. And everything in between is happening every single day. We're looking at humanitarian crises happening all over the world. According to Convoy of Hope, in Africa right now, they're facing the largest battle with starvation that they've ever had in recent history. We have tragedies going on in the Middle East with hostages and terrorist organizations, so much tension, so many battles, so much loss of life. We have our own political battles happening here in America. Inflation is continuing to rise and things just keep getting more and more difficult. And sometimes I think when you look at the whole speck of what's happening in our world, it can bring you to your knees. It can almost be depressing in a way. And that brings me to one conclusion, one conclusion and one conclusion alone, is that our world needs Jesus. Our world needs Jesus. But how does this happen? How can us as a church be the difference or make a difference? How can you as a man or woman of God Make a difference for Jesus. How do you do that practically? How do you do that realistically? How can you make a difference in your family, in your community, in your job, in your school? How can you do that? I'm going to turn to one of my favorite passages in Scripture this morning, and that's what we're going to be talking about. You can turn with me if you have your Bibles to 1 Samuel 14. 1 Samuel 14. It's going to be on the on the screen behind me if you do not have your Bible with you. But 1 Samuel 14, we're going to start in verse 1. And says this, one day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. This is very important. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With, with him were about 600 men, among whom was Ajai, who was the, wearing the ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Etub, the son of Phinehas the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was Boaz, the other was Seneth. One cliff stood toward Michmash, and the other one stood towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come on, let's go to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. 
Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on, we will cross over towards them. We will let them see us. And if they say to us, wait here until we come to you, we will stay here and not go up to them. But if they say to us, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. The title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes, it's on the screen, is Leave No Doubt. Leave No Doubt. And before we go further, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can live in this time in history to have such a great opportunity to share your gospel and to share your message. God, we pray today. I pray that the words that are spoken from me are not mine, but they are yours. Anything that is from me, God, I pray that it would be forgotten. But things that are from you, I pray, would be forever remembered. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come into this room and speak to us, speak to our minds. Share with us what's happening here, Jesus. We love you today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. So this is an interesting time in Israel's history. Saul was appointed king, and it had not been going well since Saul was appointed king. Israel had pleaded with the Lord to give them a king, but the grass isn't always greener on the other side, as the phrase would say. He is not doing a great job. He turns out he's extremely insecure. He's not a good leader. He's constantly jostling for position. He wants to push people to the left. He's always worried about what's in it for Saul. And so what is happening is at this time, there's a lot of battles happening. And Israel is frankly in trouble. They're not going to win. They're outmatched, they're outarmed, they're outnumbered, their technology is not good enough. They are going to lose this battle, but Saul has gotten them into this battle. So Saul's son, during this time, goes over, as we read, and picks a battle, picks a fight with the Philistines. And it's interesting to really see the comparison of what's happening here. Saul, it says, is what? Sitting under the shade of a pomegranate tree. Right? He's just kind of hanging out. He's relaxing under the shade of a pomegranate tree. And his son Jonathan says, hey, let's go over and let's see if we can pick a fight with the enemy. That's essentially what he says. Like, look at the language that he says to his armor bearer. He says, perhaps the Lord will, ask on our, or will, will work on our behalf. Perhaps. I mean, this guy either has great confidence in who God is or he has a death wish. Right? Because I don't know if you know anything about swords. I don't, okay? But I, Hudson had one of those little bats, and we were kind of doing swords, and he cut my arm off like within three seconds. You know what I mean? So this guy is using swords, okay? And it's like two against like 20. So you lose. Like that's just the reality of when you go up there. You know what I mean? Like you're going to lose. So he realizes this. And he goes up, and I think it's actually the former. He has great confidence in who God is. Look at his confidence. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. That's such confidence that got him to this place that God is going to fight for him, that God is going to be there with him. They're in this battle, and, and all of a sudden, Jonathan decides to start doing some Braveheart stuff. You know what I mean? Like he's going to go out there for freedom and he's going to fight. 
He's outnumbered. He's outmatched. This is essentially a bad idea. It's really what we would think. This is a bad idea. So he walks out, and he's in between these two caves. Now, Jonathan may be very, you know, bold, but he is not unintelligent. Because as he's showing himself in between these two caves, or in between these two things of rock, it's really a, a decent military position, is what one theologian said. So he's really not in that bad of a position because he is showing himself to them. He has the advantage. He's able to sneak up on them. Now, it's essentially like this, meaning the overall perspective of the Israelites are fighting their enemy, and there's pretty much no way they can win. They're outmatched, they're outnumbered, they're outsmarted in the entire Bible. If you read any story in the Old Testament, the Israelites are in a rough spot. It's probably not smart for them to do what they're doing. They're most likely going to lose. I mean, some of the highlights is God has the sun stand still in the sky. That happens in Joshua for a full day, right? Or they hold Moses' arms up, and when they hold his arms up, they win. But when he puts his arms down, they lose. This is the first, this is where Survivor was created. Hold your arms up. Jeff Probst is over there. You are the survivor, right? Like, th th this is literally where, like, but when he puts his arms down, they start losing. Like, this is insane, right? All the things that are happening, they, they break down the walls of Jericho by shouting. They're always in a position that they need to work and God needs to work on their behalf. It's like this all the time. They're in an impossible situation. And what do they do? They turn to God. And he's faithful, just as he said he would be. Look at the confidence of the armor bearer. This is very interesting to me. He says this, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you heart and soul. How many of us need some friends who are like this armor bearer? I'm with you heart and soul. This is a very bad idea, but I'm with you heart and soul. Right? Don't do what you're going to do, but, this, oh, but if you do it, I'll go with you. It's such an interesting thing. He says, Jonathan, I'm with you. Think about what he could have said. He could have said a lot of things. Now, realistically, he's not going to say anything because this is, the, this is the king's son, right? And he probably has a lot of power. So he's not going to say anything. But in my mind, what if he said something under his breath? Like, this guy's lost his mind. You know what I mean? Like, okay, Johnny boy. You know what I mean? I guess. I guess. He doesn't say that. He says, do everything you want to do. I'm with you 100%. I like this quote from one theologian. It says this, God was going to use Jonathan, but he wasn't going to use Jonathan alone. When God uses someone, he almost always calls others around to support them and help them. These people are just as important as in getting God's work done as the leader is. What does that say? You cannot do this Christian life alone. You have to have people who are by your side, heart and soul. You absolutely have to. Let me say this, and this is, this is a, there's a lot of people who disagree with this. Um, you cannot be a Christian on your own. You have to have some sort of community. The Bible was designed for you to live in community. You will not survive as a Christian on your own because 
What happens when you have that bad pizza or that bad Chipotle? Not that that happens. Come on, somebody. You know what I mean, right? But you have that, ba- and you're like a little funky, and you're like, I don't know. You need a friend to be like, no, 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 let's, 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 let's remember. How many of us have a bad day, and you remember a friend who calls you and says, no, remember this or remember that? We can't do this thing alone. We cannot do this thing alone. God did not design us to do this thing alone. Unfortunately for us in the day and age in which we live in the Western culture, which we live in right now, everything is based on what you want and being by yourself or your identity or your thoughts or your mind. We are constantly told we do not need other people. All that matters is what you think and what you want. We probably live in the most me-centric time in history. And sadly, this has gotten into the church. One of my favorite pastors in Minnesota, he wrote a book called Pharisectomy to the Church. Getting the inner Pharisee out of me is what the whole thesis of the book is. Getting the inner Pharisee out of me. And he said a lot of times what churches will do is they'll create parks for people to play in, like dog parks. And they say, you can play here, you can play here. And they create all these different parks so people will be happy because otherwise they just spend all Sunday barking at the pastor. So the pastor says, I'll just create a little fence over here. You can go ahead and do that. You can go ahead and do that, but don't talk to me about it anymore. And then what happens is we create all these different silos of church. So then we have the men's ministry that hates the youth ministry, because the youth ministry is too loud, and the men's ministry wants to do this, and the women's ministry wants to do this, and in the church, we're only thinking about me. What can I get out of it? What can I do? But wait, wait, wait. We're one body. Aren't we supposed to be together? Aren't we supposed to be supporting one another? That may be all good and fine for certain places, but the reality is, is that is not the gospel. The gospel is we lay down our lives for one another. There's no greater love than to lay down your life for one another, to lay down your preferences, to lay down your personal things for one another. And this, can I tell you the good news? In the Western culture in which we live, this is where the church has an opportunity. The church has a massive opportunity. We as the people of God, with all of the different scriptures that say we can gather together, we're supposed to gather together, pray for one another, serve one another. When someone is sick, we pray over them, we care for them, we bring them soup, we sacrifice for one another. If there's any among you who has something to need, the church is supposed to be there and be for one another. We're not supposed to walk in and say, man, I really hope I get something good today for me. Maybe we say, I really hope I can give something to somebody. I can give something to somebody. Who can I serve? Who can I go? Because the reality is the more that you give, the more that you get. I'm not talking materially. I'm talking reality of your soul being full in who you are. This is why we have small groups. This is why next weekend after church, we're doing another uh, lunch, community lunch after church. And we're, we're going to have a bunch of food and uh, we're going to send out a sign up and we need you to bring some sides and bring some stuff because we can't keep letting Wilmer and Cindy make food for 40 people by themselves. Come on, somebody, you know. We're going to be downstairs and we're going to gather and we're going to talk and ask each other questions. And we're going to pray over the boxes that you bring back next week because those are going all over the world. I was talking to a friend this morning, or this last week, in Michigan, and he said there's someone in his church in Michigan who got saved 
from one of those Operation Christmas Child boxes. They were sent to Mexico. Then their family immigrated to America, and they landed in Michigan. And she said, the first box I got was from this church. This is the church. That church sent me this, the gospel. And that's how I got saved, and that's how I came to this place. We do this because we want to serve one another. So often we get in this where we're jostling for position. We're over here elbowing each other so we can, who's going to get the most spotlight? But we're infighting over meaningless, menial things. And if we end up being one of those churches that has too much infighting, we might as well close our doors. Because we're not helping anybody. We're just hurting people. This has happened at too many churches. But it's not going to happen here because we're building something different. We're doing something different. So we have Jonathan with this great faith in God and his armor bearer with him, heart and soul. Who can you be with? Do you have someone in your life that you say, hey, you know what, I'll be with you heart and soul. I was just filtering through whether I should tell a story or not that I had just came to my mind, but I'm going to tell it. There's a movie, it's not a Christian movie, and uh, it's not a great movie either, so I'm not, but me and my friend in college, he was my best friend, he lived with me illegally on the dorms, don't worry, they overcharged us anyways, and he came in, and we used to always say this joke to one another, it's from this movie, and these two brothers get in, tr- and then one brother has a fight, and he walks in the, in the door, and he says, listen, I can't tell you what, where they are, I can't tell you why, I can't tell you what we're doing, but we're going to hurt some people. And the brother says, whose car are we going to take? So we used to walk in and be like, I can't tell you why, but we're going to get some donuts. And we say, whose car are we going to take? Right? And whatever it was, can't tell you why, whose car are we going to take? What we were saying in that moment is, no matter what you want to do, I'm with you. I'm here for you. Do you have people like that in your life? Or can you be like that for someone? Jonathan, with his great faith in God and his great armor bearer. Let's see what happens to him. Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel 14, verse 11. So both of them show themselves to the Philistine outposts. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men in the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. This is a bad situation. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. What made you think that? Jonathan climbs up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind them. Then they begin the fight. And the Philistines fall before Jonathan and his armor bearer. And he killed them behind them. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in the span of a half acre. These guys have some guts. Okay, They're going in between this canyon, rocks on any side. They're outnumbered. They're outgunned. But they have something in their spirit. They believe God is with them. So what's happening is Jonathan is cutting these guys down, and the armor bearer right behind them as they go back to back is finishing them off. I mean, it's just the reality of what's happening. They're through 20 people in a half acre. That's a long time. Okay, That's a big span. That's no 10 feet. Like This was a, a rough battle it's an incredible miracle that they're alive to this point and God has just gotten started I'm not going to read the rest of it but what happens is God essentially throws an earthquake 
into the area. It shakes the entire rock. It shakes everything in the area. And then everyone in the camp of the Philistines gets confused and they start going after one another, killing each other. Now, meanwhile, Saul, remember Saul, the leader, the spiritual leader, the one who's supposed to be really tough, the one who's supposed to lead the people of Israel to salvation? He realizes and hears the earthquake from underneath the pomegranate tree as he's sitting there relaxing with his feet up and says, oh, wait, we should probably go attack. Then he goes over and attacks, and the Israelites beat them that day. He hears about it. They move, and God makes a way. They run off the Philistines. The only way it could have happened is if Jonathan said, hey, perhaps we can go over. I want to ask you a question. How many of us in the room have you ever seen the movie The Remember the Titans? Remember the Titans? Come on, somebody. If you haven't seen it this side, Lord have mercy. (laughs) Father, we just thank you. Just kidding. But it's a great movie, and it's about these two schools during this time of segregation, and these two schools are coming together. Um, and the football team, they're coming in, there was a, uh, two schools coming together, there was two coaches, okay? And there was uh, a black coach, Herman Boone, and then there was Bill Yost, who was the other coach. And Herman became the first African-American coach in the history of the school, and Bill Yost was moved to the assistant coach, and he's taking over the defense. Now, the plot of this movie, I mean, I, this is a real story, but I don't know how much was was taken, but we're going to go with it, right? What happens is the school board says essentially, hey, here's the deal. If Coach Boone loses a single game, he's fired. And so what's happening is they just keep winning. The Titans are just rolling over people, right? They're winning. And they get to a specific game against a very difficult opponent. And the refs are essentially going to fix the game. The school board has paid the refs to fix the game so that the Titans will lose. And what happens is they tell Coach Yost the assistant coach, the old head coach, that this is happening. Now, they've been going at it the whole season, and they say, hey, here's the deal. We're going to make you lose. He's out. You're back in. Halfway through the game, Coach Jose is there. He knows all this is happening. They're about throwing the other coach out of the game. There's flags on every play. It's essentially like watching the Bears. It's just terrible football. You know what I mean? And, and, And you're just like, what's happening? What's happening? And then Coach Yost stops the game and walks over to the ref. And he says, I know what's going on. And I'm going to go to the papers. I don't care if they take me down with you. But you're going to give us a fair game. And the ref looks back at him and says, you can go to jail yourself. We're calling a fair game. He calls in the huddle, the whole team. The whole team is just down and they're, they're, they're sat. They're like depressed because they're like, we can't do anything. Anytime we touch them, they throw a flag. He's like, forget it. I changed it. Don't worry about it. And he, he rallies the troops, and he says, I don't want them to gain another yard. He says this phrase, I want them to remember forever the night they played the Titans. The very next play, boom, big hit. Would have been a flag. Fumble. The Titans get the ball. And he turns and looks at Coach Boone, and he says, run it up, Herman. Leave no doubt. Run it up. Leave no doubt. And then at the end of the game, it was like 48 to 12. Run it up, Herman. Leave no doubt. I want to propose for your consideration, if you'll allow me, what is happening in this moment is Jonathan is doing the same thing as what Coach Yo said to Coach Boone. 
He said, hey, run up the score on God. We're going to leave no doubt of who God is. Perhaps God will fight for us. Let's leave no doubt. Perhaps God will fight for us. Let's run up the score. And that's what he's saying to his armor bearer. Come on, let's go over there. Let's pick a fight. Let's run up the score. Like, this isn't fair. You know who we got behind us? We got God. Let's leave no doubt. And that's what I want to get in your spirit this morning. That same attitude of Jonathan. That same attitude of Coach Yost when he looks over. He says, run it up. I want you to think about that as you're going through life, as you're working your job, as you're at the grocery store, as you're at the grocery store, as you're at the school, wherever you are. You want to leave no doubt of who God is. At the end of my life, when I look at the scoreboard, I don't want it to be, hey, a few good salvations here, but a lot of things left unsaid, undone, ungiven. I would like it to say, he left no doubt. He gave it all. I'd like it to say he ran up the score on the enemy and brought a lot of people to heaven with him. But in order to do that, you have to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. You have to be willing to walk out to the outpost of the enemy and say, what you got, buddy? You want to take, take us on? you got to be willing to have that conversation with your neighbor that you've never told about Jesus. And you're like, well, if I tell him about Jesus, am I the weird Jesus person? you got to be willing to have that conversation. you got to be willing to step in. People who leave no doubt, they see miracles. I, I know that maybe there's someone in the room right now, you're thinking, yeah, there's that relationship that I wish I could mend. But there's no way that this happens. What if you left no doubt? What if you're like, I'm not really sure if I should do this. I'm not really sure if I should go. I'm not really sure if I should serve. I'm not really sure if I should tell people about Jesus. I'm not really sure if I should commit. But what happens when you do? What if you left no doubt? Perhaps God will fight for you. Perhaps God will. And if he can, he can make a way where there is no way. I want to leave no doubt for my family. I want to leave no doubt for my relationships. I want to leave no doubt in my finances. Do you? Recently this past week, a pastor that had a huge influence on, our, on my, my family married my parents and many of my aunts and uncles passed away. And he had uh, diabetes and he had his legs cut off and he had so many different things happening to him and he died. And I wasn't able to be there for the funeral. I didn't really even know him. But I've heard a lot about him. I've heard a lot about his legacy. And you know what? He left no doubt. I was talking with someone, and they said, when, when Pastor File would preach, and when he talked to me after service, I knew that I was talking with someone who cared for me, who loved me, who was there for me, who said they wanted me to grow closer to Jesus, pastored me. Who are you doing that for? Who can you connect to? And you may say, wow, that's, okay, cool, Jeff. We really like the, remember the Titans, but what does that have to do with one day to feed the world? What does that have to do with Convoy of Hope and one day to feed the world? You may be asking yourself that. Well, 
Here's how. Convoy of Hope and One Day to Feed the World, the generosity that we have and when we give, I believe when you give to God's church, I believe that when you take care of missions, God takes care of you. True, as a church. When you take care of missions, God takes care of you. And today, we're going to have the one day to feed the world offering. So what that is, is you give, you say, you know what, I want to give one day's wage. You don't have to give one day's wage. But in this check, this is Abby's and mine, we're going to drop it in. The give box on the way out, we are saying we want to give one day's wage, whatever that is, hourly. If, you, if you're salary, you can figure it out. There's ways you can figure it out in there. But what if we left no doubt in this generosity, in this aspect? Let me just give you a couple numbers to think about here. $10, if you were to give $10 to Convoy of Hope, it provides meals for a kid for one month, $10. $60 provides it for six months. $120 provides meals for a single kid for an entire year. Entire year. And on and on it goes. The more you give, the more it goes. This organization does a great job. They're feeding people in 33 countries around the world. This gift makes a difference. And this, this, I hate this stat, but this is true. In the 33 countries that Convoy of Hope is around there, feeding people and helping them, every 10 seconds a child in that country dies of starvation. Every 10 seconds, they die of starvation. So this is a great opportunity for us to leave no doubt and say, you know what? We're going to help feed them. We're going to be a part of it. We're going to give to missions. Because I want our church to be a church that gives to missionaries not only locally, not only globally, but gives to other organizations. I have dreams of our church one day giving over $100,000 to missions in a year. But it starts with what we can do today. So if you can do $10 today, if you can do 20 whatever you can do, and there's no shame in any of this. this. This organization uses this money, and they use it well. They're one of the top-tiered organizations. There are organizations out there that, you, that a lot of us have seen, nonprofits that take the majority of the money for their staff incomes. This one is not one of them. Almost 90% of the money goes directly to those in influence and those who need money, those who need food. Maybe you can do the one day's wage or maybe you can do significantly more. Either way, I want to know in my life that I'm going to leave no doubt. I want to know that in my community I left no doubt because the reality is, is I can't take this stuff with me. So what can I do? Who can I impact? And I want to thank you for your generosity. We set a pretty audacious goal this year of giving $10,000 to missions throughout the year. And uh, I remember, I know it's audacious because last year we gave 3600 throughout the whole year. And I talked with another pastor and they said, you're crazy, you should probably just do like 5000 because that seems attainable. And I said, no, I'm doing ten. And then next year we're going to do twenty. And right now, so far, 
not this offering included for the rest of the year, you have given $8,755 to missions this year. Come on. That's incredible. None of that money stays here. It's definitely not going to me, not going to lights, not going to anything. It is going out. And that's what it's all about. You take care of the global church. When the church take care, takes care of the global church, God takes care of you. So what's happened is you can take these envelopes if you want to give today. You can drop it in the give box on your way out. If you have any questions, if you want to give next week, if you want to pray about it, come back, give. It's fine. We'd love for you to just participate any way you can. But I want to pray with heads bowed, eyes closed all over this room. I'm going to pray and then I'll pass it off to Pastor Jim to close us off at the end of service after I pray. But if you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't want to leave any doubt in my life. I don't want to leave any doubt. I want to leave it all in the field. I want to run up the score. And today I just want to acknowledge to God and I want to acknowledge to myself that I want to be in this. I want to have some skin in the game. I want to go for it. And I just want to tell God that he can use me. That I can be one of those people that say, perhaps I'll do this. So if that's you and you're here in the room and you just want to acknowledge no one looking around that say, you know what, God? I want to run up the score. I want to leave no doubt in my life. If that's you, on the count of three, I just want you to shoot your hand up just so I know who I'm praying for. We're going to pray. If that's you on the count of three, one, two, three, shoot them up. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You can put those down. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus. I thank you for who you are, God. I thank you for what you're doing. God, I thank you that we have the opportunity as a church to leave no doubt that when Frankfurt, the city of Frankfurt looks at us, they say, that's a place that I can go. That's a place that someone can tell me about Jesus. That's a place where I can know people can be with me, heart and soul. Not just in Frankfurt, but all the surrounding areas, God. This state as a whole, we want to step up because we want to take on the responsibility, God, because we know who you are. We love you today, God. I pray. I pray for the Convoy of Hope, this organization that we're giving to, that you would be able to multiply their efforts, that they would be able to feed these starving children. God, that we would be able to kick that, that, that timetable that says someone dies every 10 seconds. We'd be able to take that off the map. It wouldn't even be a, a measurable thing. We'd be able to participate, God be able to serve and give we thank you for who you are we love you today in jesus name amen thanks for tuning in we hope you enjoyed this week's message and if you did make sure to share it and subscribe to stay up to date with all of our new messages thanks for listening god bless